0: Very good morning to you. Can I give you a warm welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church this morning. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you for joining us online. Just to flag up, we have a funeral here this coming Friday. Pat Holmes, a member of the Westlake community, we're going to be having a celebration of her life here on Friday afternoon. And we're all very welcome to come and join and give thanks for Pat's life. Our hearts go out to you as you miss her, a very close member of your family. But uh, yeah, bless you, bless you all. You're in our prayers. Saturday, if you're stuck for something to do, you have a bumper choice. Uh, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, there is a play school giveaway. Everything that, that's left of the equipment and toys, we are giving it away to anybody who would like to come and collect it. So if you have children or grandchildren, you'd like to come and browse and take it away, that would do us, do us a favour because it needs to go somewhere worthwhile and it's good quality stuff, so it'll be good for you as well. Uh, Dick is also putting together a small team of people to decorate the church. They will be in different parts of the church, I am assured. Uh, and uh, if you want to come down to the church at 10 o'clock on Saturday with part of the team to do some decorating, some cleaning, have a word with Dick or sign up on the form uh, in, the, in, the, in the street, please. And if you're more the outdoorsy type, the breezes is to a walk. And that sits out from here at quarter past 10. So. There is no reason for any of you to be stuck at home on Saturday. You can come and do one of those things here with us. A moment of quiet as we prepare to worship together. Our call to worship is taken from the opening verses of Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have taught us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, and his might, and the wonders that he's done." So let's stand together and declare God's wonders. In the words of two songs, my Jesus, my Saviour, and all I once held dear. why Jesus is so precious to us is the difference he makes to us as people let me try and illustrate that if I may I've got some clothes here that I bought this summer do you hope you prove okay I this bag I've got some old clothes I've got plenty of old clothes so one of the reasons why I bought a new shirt was because this one it's not all that old but I was doing some Some furniture work, I've got linseed oil on it, splash over the front and therefore it's not come out and it's not wearable really to church. These trousers are old, I bought them to go to Cambodia, 2014, so they're nine years old now. Dirt at the bottom doesn't come out, there's frays at the ends, there's a tear in one of the trouser legs. And again, it wouldn't feel right, actually, to come here and leave the service wearing old clothes like this. If you really want to kind of be presentable, I mean, i don't think god's bothered what i I wear but you want to honor god in how you dress and i certainly you know i know you look at what the minister wears on sunday in church wouldn't it be brilliant though if there was a shop where you could go in and take your old clothes and they just give you new ones that's kind of ah what a dream that is yeah this is my old shirt that's fine sir take your pick from our ale. please help yourself to a new shirt no charge that would be fantastic wouldn't it Yet that is what God does for us. Becoming a Christian is like having a change of clothes on the inside. And we look inside ourselves and we see stuff that's dirty and shabby and not very nice and stuff that actually we feel uncomfortable in, we feel really awkward about and bad about. We come to Jesus and he says, let me take all that. Let me take that away and give you instead my righteousness. Righteousness. Let me make you clean and good and fine on the inside so that you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to feel dirty or unworthy or or not dressed right on the inside. Jesus gives us what we need to change us from the inside out. And the Bible says becoming a Christian is like taking off an old set of clothes that really are no good and putting on... The new personality created to be like Jesus in righteousness and holiness. God's gift to you, if you ask him in Jesus, is like a new set of clothes, created to be like Christ, getting rid of the old, making you new every single day. If anyone is in Christ, it says, there is a new creation. And if you feel you need a change... Not a change of clothes, but a change of life. Jesus is the one who does that for you. And he does it for your charge. So we've got a responsive prayer. Uh, can I invite you to say the words in yellow, please? Patient and creative God, you offer us the opportunity to change. And we thank and praise you. You give us eyes to see where change is necessary. And we thank and praise you. You equip us to overcome the temptation not to change. And we thank and praise you. You inspire us with your word to encourage us to change. And we thank and praise you. You bless us with your love that changes everything and we thank and praise you thank you Lord that your forgiveness changes us changes our hearts changes our minds changes our lives changes our relationships changes our judgments thank you that you are in to change for the better and we invite you To bring about your change. In our lives. And we trust that you'll do that. Quickly or slowly. But surely. Day by day. Change us to be more like your son Jesus Christ. And through all that process of change. Help us to trust in your unchanging love. That you've given to us. And shown us in the life. Death and resurrection of Jesus. As our saviour and our lord amen Amen. lord i come to you let my heart be changed when you don't just sing these words because they're on the screen and everybody else is doing it make it a prayer let my heart be changed renewed let's stand to sing Mm in that love that God reaches down and rescues us and lifts us up out of the pit and puts us in a firm place. When I was lost, you came and rescued me. If you're going upstairs, now's the time to go. May God go with you, give you a great time in your session, enjoyment and learning together. If you're staying, you've already done it. Have a seat.
1: Our Bible reading this morning is taken from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2 and the first 12 verses. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into
2: his kingdom and glory. The response to the prayers this morning is loving God turn hearts and minds towards your kingdom. We look upon the world with sadness as the climate gets warmer, harvests fail and the poor grow poorer. Many are comfortable and reluctant to adapt their lifestyles. The climate is changing and we seem to do nothing about it, yet you have given us stewardship of the planet. We pray that the governments of the world may retain policies and practices that support the transition to renewable energy and phase out the use of harmful fossil fuels. May we all reflect on how we live and find ways to reduce our energy consumption and promote sustainability. Loving God, turn hearts and minds towards your kingdom. More and more people suffer as a result of mental health issues. Stress causes illness, relationship breakdown, and even crime. Yet the world seems apathetic about them. You tell us you love all your children. We pray for those on the brink of despair, that they may find the support and guidance they need. We commend to your care the work of the Samaritans and all helplines as they offer care and compassion. Loving God, turn hearts and minds towards your kingdom. Churches struggle. There is not enough people to do the essential jobs. We worry about keeping the show on the road. We focus on maintenance and have no enthusiasm for mission. Yet you command us to make disciples of all nations. Give us the courage to lay down what is past and to look for relevant and innovative ways of being your church in the 21st century. Loving God, turn hearts and minds towards your kingdom. Food banks report shortages. More and more people turn to them out of necessity. People fear the winter because of the cost of heating our homes. Nothing changes, yet you call us to feed the hungry and shelter the needy. May those who have plenty realise how blessed they are and be willing to share generously with those in need. May nations follow practices that discourage greed and which seek to offer help and support to those in greatest need. Loving God, turn hearts and minds towards your kingdom. Many are suffering in our world. Remember those in hospitals, care homes, hospices especially. We pray for those on waiting lists hoping for treatment and care soon. We commend to you all who work in health and social care at the front line or in policy making. May the care of individuals be a priority. May all, all health and social care establishments be places of love and peace. Loving God, turn hearts and minds towards your kingdom. We try to be caring and loving. We try to see your face in those in need. We try to be faithful disciples, but sometimes prejudice self-interest, and ignorance get in the way. Help us to look at ourselves, at what we believe, at how we live. May we be transformed into compassionate, faithful, Christ-focused disciples. Loving God, turn hearts and minds towards your kingdom. In a time of quiet, we bring to God our own special concerns and reflections. Loving God, turn hearts and minds towards your kingdom. In the name of our Saviour, we pray. Amen. Amen. I now invite you to join me with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
0: Thank you, Miriam and Deborah. And we think about the transforming power of God's kingdom at work, not just in our lives, but in the world. Let's stand and sing together beauty, brokenness. There were times when the Apostle Paul felt really quite insecure. He was after all just as human as any one of us here. In his first letter to the Thessalonian Christians it's clear that he was really anxious about what they thought of him, how they remembered him, what they made of him. His visit to them had been brief but eventful culminating as it had in a riot after which he'd fled the town under cover of darkness and as the weeks went by he worried he fretted what they would think of him that they would feel he just walked out on them and abandoned them he was here today and gone tomorrow and they'd never hear from him again he was desperate to prove to them that this wasn't the case at all He'd sent Timothy back to check and see how they were doing. And when he heard that actually they remembered Paul with kindness and they missed him and were longing to see him again, Paul was overwhelmed with relief at that news. His fears had proved to be unfounded. He felt as though a tremendous weight had been lifted from his shoulders. Because for him, as for all of us, Good relationships were really important. And it's in response to the good news that Timothy shared with him about this fledgling church in Thessalonica that Paul pours out in his letter an expression of love for them and his commitment to them and his devotion to them. And he uses some startlingly expressive imagery as he does so. And I want to unpack that a bit with you this morning. There's a debate about what Paul actually wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. Most English translations talk about him being gentle with the church when he visited them. But on balance, I prefer the New English translation which we listen to, which reads, although we could have imposed our weight as apostles of Christ, instead we became little children among you. Talking about being like little children rather than just being gentle. And this is about the nature of Paul's authority. He didn't throw his weight around, he didn't exercise power to an overbearing or excessive degree. He didn't stand upon his rights, expecting people to defer to him and give him the respect and financial support that were his due. He didn't stand upon or assert his authority and expect people to recognise that. He rebuts any such idea of a top-down hierarchy where he stands or sits at the top of the pile and gives orders to everybody else and expects them all to do his bidding. There was nothing authoritarian about his approach. And in that respect, he stands as a model of true Christian leadership. Not getting on his high horse. Instead, he says, when we came to you, we behaved like little children among you. The antithesis of power and authority. Vulnerable. Even needy. By comparing himself to a child, Paul invites the Thessalonians to reflect on how they welcomed and accepted him. They took him in. They showed love to him. He didn't want to come to them to impose himself upon them or to take advantage of them or to make a living at their expense. Like a small child, he was was dependent upon their readiness to accept him, to welcome him, to include him. The power, wherever it was, rested with them and not with him. And Jesus spoke, didn't he, about humbling yourself, becoming like a little child, living that way and turning round to enter the kingdom. Well that is how Paul behaved with the Thessalonians when he was with them. We were like little children when we came to you, he says. Then in a sudden and startling change of metaphor, Paul says he was like a nursing mother. He felt such a bond of affection with them that he was prepared to share not just the gospel but his very life. They had become that dear to him. It's a bold and surprising image. Breastfeeding is surely one of the most intimate bonds there can be between two people as a mother nurses her child. There is a real sense actually in which she is nourishing the child with her own life. And that ties in with what Paul says about sharing his life with the believers in that church. Think of the powerful emotional and physical forces that bind a mother to a baby that she's nursing. How hard it is for them to be separated. Paul says, that's how I feel about you. The emotional bond, the attachment is that strong when I'm with you and the grief is that powerful when I'm away from you. That's how I feel about you, he says to them. That's how hard it is for us to be separated from you, so much so that our heart aches for you when we can't be with you. Now, Paul was a bloke, wasn't he? And I recognise that some of you mothers might have issues with him effectively stealing his metaphor from you and applying it to himself. What does he know about breastfeeding, you might rightly ask? And you might feel that as a man he's got no right to do that. Well, you can raise that issue with him when you meet him in heaven, along with a whole list of other issues, I suspect. But the point is that when Paul was looking for a powerful metaphor to convey just how devoted he was, from his heart to the believers in this church, this was the image that came to mind. His devotion to them, his love for them, his sense of attachment to them was second to none. The most intimate image you could think of was the one he used. This is how I feel about you. He says, even though I can't be with you, this is how you are in my heart. So in terms of his relationship with the Thessalonians, we've seen how Paul compares himself to a little child, humbling himself when he was with them, to a nursing mother being that devoted to them. And then in verses 11 to 12, he draws on another family trope, as he explains that he treated each of them as a father does his children, exhorting them, encouraging them, insisting and emphasising that their way of life should be worthy of God who's called them to his own kingdom and glory. And that gives us a fascinating insight into Paul's perception of how fathers should treat their children. The big (coughs) emphasis is on encouragement. It's about building up confidence and skill sets and enabling children to develop the qualities they need for independent living. I can say that because none of my children are here today. It's about being a role model. Inspiring children about the kind of adults they want to be when they grow up. Helping them to develop a can-do attitude when it comes to taking responsibility. It's about empowering. It's about being the kind of dad who says, I'm right behind you. I'm alongside you. I've got your back for as long as you want it or need it. Encouraging them to be the best people that they can be. That That is a father's role. And Paul says, that is how we were when we were with you. We encouraged you and exhorted you Every step of the way. But at the same time, alongside that note of paternal encouragement, Paul also sounds, and is there, a note of authority. Sometimes a father has to insist and lay down the law and say that this or that aspect of behaviour is non-negotiable. And Paul says, we encouraged you, we exhorted you, and we insisted as well. Learning which battles to pick on that score and how to lay down the law for those battles that we pick is perhaps one of the most challenging aspects of parenthood. And those of us who are dads might well have a strong sense of our failures and shortcomings about the, when we think about the kind of fathers that we've been. But Paul gives us here at least a blueprint to which we all can and should aspire and, and we, for our part, may quibble about the stereotyping of gender roles. After all, why can't dads be devoted to their children? Why can't dads love their children with all their heart, with a love every bit as strong as a mother, even if we can't breastfeed? Why shouldn't we have those strong emotional bonds of attachment? And why do we get to be the ones who are the authority figures, laying down the law? Why does that rest with us? You wait till your dad gets home, that old saying, Why why does it have to be the dad that does that? Surely mothers, it's down to you to encourage children as much as us, isn't it? And surely you get to say what's right and wrong and lay down the law as well? Well, of course you're right. This is gender stereotyping at its most blindingly obvious. But don't let that detract from the point Paul is trying to make. His role was one of encouraging the church, exhorting them, enabling them to be the best that they could be, keeping them on the straight and narrow. And the image that came to his mind was that's what dads do. And dads, if you have issues, again, with what Paul has said here, you can take your place in heaven behind the long queue of women lining up to give him a piece of their mind. But what also struck me, I think for the first time actually, reading this passage as I prepared this message, is that Paul talks about each one of them, treating each one of them as a father does his children, singling each of them out for special attention and care and support and love. In other words, the encouragement, the direction he gives, are tailor-made for each individual. Didn't treat everybody the same. Didn't expect them all to conform Didn't expect them all to be cut from the same cloth, like cookie cutters. Each one was an individual and he treated them as such. If you go online, you will find a chorus of opposing views about whether or not you should treat all your children the same way. Some experts insist that you have to do this, otherwise your children will grow up with a sense of resentment because they feel they haven't been treated fairly. Why do you treat him different to me? How come she gets off so lightly? Why don't you treat us all the same? Others assert that of course you treat each child differently. Treating them as an individual respects their uniqueness and shows appreciation for their own characteristics. And Paul, it seems, favours the latter option. Each one, each individual, encouraged and exhorted and sought to keep on the straight and narrow. Every individual counts. There was no one who didn't matter. No one, I'm not bothering about that person. Every single one he nurtured and encouraged and cared for and exhorted. He treated every individual he met as a father treats each one of his children, seeking the best for them, enabling them to discover what's right for them, enabling them to live that out in practice. And that's not gonna be the same for everyone. One size doesn't fit all. And for Paul, a key part of this parental nurturing is to enable his converts to live lives that correspond to their true identity. To grow up knowing who they are and able to live out their identity in a way that's responsible and well. God has called you to his kingdom and glory. That is your destiny you have a calling to serve the king of kings and to share in his glory there is no greater privilege there is no higher calling so hold your head up high know who you belong to know who you are serving know where your home is and where you are headed live your life for your heavenly king and do so in such a way that that brings him glory now as you look forward to sharing in his glory for eternity you belong to the king of kings that no one look down on you but at the same time live a life that is worthy of that calling and that identity that's what paul wanted from that church in Thessalonica. That's why he laid down the law, why he encouraged, why he exalted. Live as the people of God. Know that you belong to the heavenly king. Know that you are serving him. Know that you are destined for glory with him. Fix your eyes on that and live a life that reflects that identity in everything you do. I've reflected with you this morning on lessons we can learn from the way which Paul depicts his relationship with the Thessalonians. came to them like a little child, humbling himself among them. He bonded with them with such a strong emotional attachment he could compare himself to a mother nursing her baby. And he made it his aim to encourage each individual among them as a father does each of his children. For me, as a church leader, I'm bound to look at what Paul says and think, okay, that has to be the model for my style of ministry. To try and develop those qualities in myself as I serve here in Bright Road. For my relationship with you to reflect that kind of humility and devotion and a commitment to encourage each of you to live the best life that you can for Jesus. So I read those words, I see the standard Paul sets, that's what I aspire to. I think I've just given you a big stick to beat me with, but I hope you won't. But I do want to say as well, that whatever I do as minister, I act as your representative. I am part of the congregation here. And everything I do, I don't do for you, but I do with you and alongside you. When I visit someone in my role as pastor, I will often say, I've come to bring you the love of the fellowship. I don't just come as an individual, I come representing all of you. And I come because I represent your love for them, your commitment to them, your concern for them. And they recognise that a visit from the minister isn't just one person. It is the church, to some extent, embodied in the person who goes to visit them. And my prayers for that person, I know, are being echoed by others who are praying for the, in the church for that person as well. So whatever I do as minister, I don't just do it for you, I also do it with you, as one of you. And I make that point because when Paul says... This is how we treated you when we were among you, acting in humility and heartfelt devotion and encouraging you. And when I say that applies to me, I also want to say that applies to how all of us should treat each other. It's Not just about how the minister treats the congregation, it's about how all of us engage with one another. All of us to embody those qualities of humility and devotion and encouragement. What's true of me should be true of all of us. So there's no room in church for lording it over each other or throwing our weight around. Instead, in all our dealings with each other, we humble ourselves and we become like little children, welcoming each other in that way. And the bond that unites us and ties us together in Christ is every bit as strong as the bond that unites a nursing mother to the child she's feeding. We are called to have that depth of love, that powerful emotional attachment and that commitment to one another. We are bound together in that kind of way. And like a father encouraging each of his children, we are all called upon to encourage and strengthen and support one another so that together we egg each other on and enable each other to live lives that match our high calling to belong to the kingdom of God, to serve the king to whom we belong, to bring him glory with an eye to the glory that we will share with him at the end of all things. This is the place where we dedicate ourselves to building one another up and encouraging each other to be the best that we can be so that none of us is isolated and struggling to cope alone. But we all have people who will serve us. We all have people who will love us. We all have people who will encourage us as we humble ourselves to serve and love and encourage each other. And it's as we all do that together that we really discover what it means for us to be members together of God's family in this place. So let's pray. Lord forgive us for those times when we assert ourselves too much and put other people down. Change us, humble us, make us like little children in all of our dealings with each other. Place within us that heartfelt devotion and love which binds us together in a bond that cannot be broken even if we're apart. And enable us to seek out and find ways to encourage each other, to build each other up, to spur each other on, so that together we can live lives worthy of your kingdom and bring glory to you. For we ask this, In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we close by singing, Beneath the cross of Jesus, I find a place to stand. I invite you to share together in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.